Okay, good morning, everybody, um, and uh, welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Craig F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is January the 7th, and uh, we're going to be reading from the big book. Uh, we are at uh, page XXVII. Uh, and we're on the very last paragraph on that page. It starts, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed. Um, today's uh, readers are, um, uh, for the big book, the readers are uh, Lisa B., Lauren N., and Jen A. For the 12 steps, we have Kathy R. and Renee A. Um, uh, the reference numbers for uh, yesterday for the special edition is uh, 12387. Uh, and uh, okay. Um, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our OA fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Okay, I've asked uh, Kathy R. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kathy R. from Florida, and these are the 12 steps of our program. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove, remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation, to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And num number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you for letting me do the service. Thank you for your service. Okay, now I've asked uh, Renee A. to uh, read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Renee A., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Have a good day. I pass. Thank you, Renee. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in the literature, in literature that we're discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness, singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators are one year and for readers is six months. There are, is no abstinence requirements for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page uh, XXVII, last paragraph, uh, starting with, of course, an alcoholic. And uh, I'm gonna ask Lisa B to begin reading. Lisa? 
Good morning, Craig. Thank you for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. And this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. While this is such an important reading, I was taught that the process begins here in this chapter, in this reading. And this is going, this whole reading is addressing the first half of the first step. So um, Dr. Silkworth is saying, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed. And we read last week that Bill tells us that um, before a person can be approached, he has a better, uh, um, a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer if they're not jittery or befogged, you know, if they have some clarity. So I just want to go over some of the key words here. Um, craving. The word craving is used in this reading, and that is an intense, urgent, or abnormal desire. Well, I am in the process of being armed with the facts about myself. That's what happens when I study this big book and implement everything that it is asking me to implement. Um, I'm going to be armed with the facts about myself, and I can't be armed with the facts about myself when I am in an intense, urgent, and abnormal desire state. Um, The other thing I wanted to um, talk about is I love the word maximum, and that means greatest value attainable or greatest or utmost development. I want to get the greatest value from this reading. I don't want to keep suffering and just kicking along, kicking along, going on year in, year out, not getting recovered. I want to get recovered. I want to get maximum benefit, and that begins by being clear. Um, from my substances and working with someone in whom the problem has been solved. And then the final word that I wanted to talk about was psychological. And that means related to mental and emotional state. Well, let me tell you, I have felt like I'm hanging on by a very thin thread, you know, for years in a terrible emotional state. Um, I felt like I'm going insane. And I just thought that that was normal. Well, It's not normal, and I don't have to live like that. And I can't be in that state and be armed with the facts about myself. So it began with putting the food down, getting clear so that I can start to hear with clarity um, the facts about who and what I really am by someone in whom the problem has been solved that has done this work. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Yeah, they they stopped eating and exercised. That that was their amazing... Thank Amazing idea. Somebody's unmuted. Would you please mute? Uh, thank you. Uh, no, I don't think I'll be doing that. No, no. Well, so I'll everyone, all you need to do is uh, eat less and exercise. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, who else would like to share on the paragraph that we've read? Katie G from Boston. Nessa R, California. Kim who was from California? I got you, Kim. Who who was from Nicole California? Nicole C. Nic- okay, Nicole C. Ginger right. C. Ginger. Gotcha. Vasa R. All right. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, all right. Well, I've got a good lineup here, so uh, we'll, I'll put you down later. Um, all right, Katie. Uh, Katie G, you're up. 
Hi, Craig. Good morning. Myself is Katie J. Recovered, compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic in Boston. You know, I just love that this tells me um, this is consistent with all of the work that the women I have been um, privileged to work with um, have taught me. Um, you know, for me, um, I have to be freed of the foods, ingredients, and behaviors that are driving me. And um, a recovered alcoholic taught me once that um, a craving is something that I don't even know I have until I can't satisfy it. It's like we're all craving air right now. But if you took that, that air away, I would immediately be in a life and death battle for air. And that's the way it is for me around the food ingredients and behaviors that I've tried to control. And I made a very specific list of foods, ingredients, and behaviors that I've tried to control. And I put it in the front of my big, big book. And it informs my plan of eating, you know, is that my plan of eating does not include any of those foods, ingredients, or behaviors. And one thing that's vital is that I never take it back. So if I truly have no power, no choice, and no control around foods, ingredients, and behaviors, that's like no power, no choice, and no control ever before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. So if I'm on a step beyond step one and I'm taking those foods, ingredients, and behaviors back, I'm on step one. People call me and they say, should I go back to step one? Like I've started playing with those foods, ingredients, and behaviors again. And you know, I, I say this all the time, but I, my suggestion to you is you don't have to go back and do the work. But in, in, for me, I am at step one if I take those foods, ingredients, and behaviors back. And it's not about fighting my sponsor on this. It's not about a diet mentality, what I can and cannot have. It is my covenant to God. It is my willingness to be honest and say, these foods, ingredients, and behaviors are giving me no power, no choice, and no control. I take the bite, and the bite takes me. I mean, there, it requires a definite hospital procedure. I had to be hospitalized. And you know what? As soon as I got out, guess what I did? Put the food right back in my mouth because um, I didn't have a spiritual awakening sufficient to overcome my disease. Um, so I just, you know, like I, I take it really seriously. This is life and death for me. And there's no, um, there's no change in my physical body ever. I do not ever take those foods, ingredients, and behaviors back because there's no change. And, uh, and I want to continue to grow, grow. And, um, you know, I'm just grateful. I'll just close with this. The physical stabilization of my body is the beginning of a lifetime of maintenance and growth. Um, with this disease and more importantly with the solution and with that I pass. Okay, thank you, Katie. We're, next we're going to have Nessa, then followed by Kim G and then Nicole C. So Nessa, your turn. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto, Canada. So why do I eat compulsively? 
I eat compulsively because I don't like discomfort. And the food gives me uh, a rest and a relief from that discomfort by giving me a sense of ease and comfort, um, even though it may be fleeting and, and very short. Uh, it's a very effective way to relieve um, discomfort. You know, and even after I have eaten myself to the point of discomfort, when my stomach is so distended and painful that I cannot stand it anymore, I eat some more to uh, not feel the discomfort from having eaten too much. And this is why I eat. And this is also the reason why I need to be entirely abstinent. Because if I am deriving any sense of even comfort from the food, no matter how small and fleeting it is, I don't need God. You know, I'm saying, you know, the food can do for me what God cannot do for me. So I don't need that solution. Um, You know, the food itself becomes a block to the real solution, which is God. And so, you know, I have to be 100% abstinence. It doesn't matter that I'm not eating, you know, candy and cheesecake if I'm still eating, you know, uh, spaghetti sauce that still has sugar in it because I am still getting a sense of discomfort from that sugar. You know, if my kid was um, allergic to peanuts, I wouldn't say, you know, oh, well, you know, peanut is only the 10th ingredient in this dessert, so it's okay for you to eat it. I would never even dream of doing that. So why do I take my allergy, you know, less seriously than I would take my kid's allergy um, to peanuts? You know, it just makes no sense. I have to be entirely abstinent in order to remove the first thing that blocks me from God, and that is the food. Then there's another thing that blocks me from God, the real solution, which is myself, my selfishness, self-centeredness, self-seeking, which can only be addressed through working the 12 steps. And, of course, they have to be worked while sober. You know, nobody has difficulty understanding why an alcoholic has to be off the alcohol to work these steps. But yet when it comes to food, it's like, oh, well, I got to eat anyway, and it's impossible to get off the sugar 100%. Uh, and we make all sorts of excuses, but, but it's not. It's not difficult to get off our binge foods, binge ingredients, and uh, binge behaviors 100% because there's so many of us on the line who have done it. And if we can do it, anybody can do it. And it's imperative in order to recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa. Okay, next we have Kim G, followed by Nicole C and Ginger. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G from South Jersey. Of course, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor before, before, before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. You you know, we just finished up the prefaces, and we heard about some incredible recovery rates in the 40s and the 50s. You know, and there are two AAs. There was AA the Fellowship, and there was AA the Book of Recovery. And there was no difference between the two. They blazed the same path. So there is a debate in OA, in OA sometimes, a lot of times. But the difference is that the debate is in the fellowship. The debate is in the fellowship of whether you need to get abstinent in order to do the steps or you do the steps in order to get abstinent. But there is no debate in the big book. You know, we are going to see in this chapter four different times where it talks about getting clean before. You know, I often hear the argument that alcohol is different. You know, alcoholics have to not drink and we have to eat every day. That's not really true. Alcoholics drink. They drink every day. They just don't drink alcohol. I, as a compulsive 
overeater eat every day. I just do not eat my binge foods. And this is not unique. It's not unique at all. I think of um, when I, I attend AA meetings because I, but I am not a member because I don't have an allergy to alcohol, but I hear about the, the same discussion in, in Narcotics Anonymous. I'm a heroin addict, so therefore I'm going to use marijuana maintenance in order to get through this craving. You know, doctors give a lot of prescriptions to addicts to try to ease the withdrawal. And the rationale is, well, if I got it off a prescription pad, then that drug is okay, versus if it's a street drug, it's not okay. So this is not a unique debate in Overeaters Anonymous. I speak with people in food rehabs that have had it where they get, they get stable and then the, the food rehab tries to reintroduce their foods in order to have them to eat moderately. But once again, that's a debate in the medical community. It's often a debate in fellowships. But there is no debate in the big book. And the debate in the, in the, in the clear-cut direction in the big book is going to tell us the line we're going to – I don't know if we got to it yet. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. If I am still getting the effect from the food, my brain isn't clear enough to get the effect from the steps. And that is a hard truth that needs to be heard, and I'm so grateful that this meeting is going to go through a paragraph by paragraph so we can slam that home because every person on this line has equal opportunity to recover, but that equal opportunity is dependent on are you willing to take the directions as prescribed in this book. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, next up is Nicole C., followed by Ginger and then Vasa. Nicole? Good morning. This is Nicole C. in California. Thank you for your service, Good Craig. Good morning. Um, I, I really love what we read. I mean, I don't think there's a paragraph we read that I don't love, but <laughs> um, I just kind of change the words a little bit in my mind um, when we read it. So to me, I, how I read it is, of course, a compulsive overeater ought to be freed from her physical craving for her alcoholic foods, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. And I remember very clearly coming off the sugar and the flour and some other foods um, it was really, really difficult for me, and um, I, I actually had to call into work a few times, and I'm really glad, I'm really grateful, I'm really fortunate that at the time I had a job where um, they were really, really, really good to me, and I had the flexibility to do that. Um, I did get a little bit of, of, of flack from the VP at the time, because I, I was saying, you know, I'm really sorry, I can't come in, I have a bad headache. And she said, what is it with all these quote-unquote headaches? She's like, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, it's not really being sick, right? And I said, well, it really is. I've changed everything I've eaten, and I'm I'm having really severe headaches. And, and she understood after that. But, you know, the sponsor that started me off explained to me that it was actually physical, serious withdrawal and that it was absolutely okay to stay home um, and that, you know, some people would get violently ill and be hospitalized for this. And I didn't take it that seriously until she explained it to me. And it was just 
it was really, really tough, but I don't ever have to do that again if I don't want to. Um, and I love the comments that I've been hearing this morning. I really believed before I got here that I had to eat what the world was offering me when I was in that place. You know, I traveled to Europe, and so I thought I had to eat what was on the plane. And so when I was white-knuckling this before I found this program, I had given up flour and sugar for a year, but because they were serving pastries on the plane, I thought, okay, well, I've got to eat this. This is the breakfast, you know, and I was off and running again. Um, but I've actually learned that I, I don't have to eat what the world provides me. I can bring my own. And it absolutely is possible to not have any flour or sugar continuously and to be happy about it and not to be white-knuckling it. And so I hope if you're on the phone, that gives you some hope. And I believe if I can do it, anybody can do it. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Okay. <clears throat> thank you very much, Nicole. Next up, we have Ginger, followed by Vasa, and then Leah S. Ginger? Hi, Craig. Thank you. Yes, good morning. It's Ginger C. Recovered, compulsive overeater from Colorado. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Craig, for your service this morning and everyone that's on the line. And I just love this. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed. And I looked up the definition free, and it says, release from captivity, confinement, or slavery. And wasn't that exactly our existence when we were eating we were a slave i was a prisoner to this food and to every bite and i know i shared a lot but thank god for every beautiful bite because one less bite i might not have been convinced head to heart and until i concede completely i'm not going to ever get this program and that is why i had a revolving door of relapse i always kept food as an option Wednesday, I'll be picking up my 28-year coin in AA. I like that shiny medallion. I have an ego. I have pride. I was not going to relapse in AA, but I was absolutely going to eat that bite of food. And thank God, again, it convinces us, and it puts us in a place where it's life and death, and it gets our attention. And the hardest piece for all of us is when we come into this room and you tell us we have to say goodbye to this friend that we probably had since early childhood, how to be in life without food. It's scary, but it's the beginning to all beginnings because you are absolutely seeking an effect if you're eating and you're absolutely blocked. And the only thing to save you is a transformation, an entire psychic change that this higher power provides. And God can't get in if you're eating. You're basically flipping the middle finger to God. That's what somebody told me. I thought it was pretty hardcore, but I'm glad she shared the truth because the truth will set me free, and I don't see my BS. So it is not easy, and you're probably going to say goodbye to food and ingredients in a way you never did before, but if it doesn't come in, you're not going to have this craving. That allergy won't be tripped up, and it's going to start to get quiet, and it's going to start to get easier. And if you're a yet, you're eligible too. If this hasn't happened for you, don't give up. And the saddest reality, and this is what makes my heart break every day, is many on this line right now are in the pain of food and eating, and many more lie outside our doors. So I hope if you've had this gift, you never give it away, 
and you practice and you keep practicing. And that's how we do it, a day at a time. This daily reprieve, we just show up. God, who would you have me be? What would you have me do? And no matter what, you don't eat. And I just want to share that I lost my dog and I said my best friend in the world on Thursday, and I haven't had one thought about eating over this grief and this pain and this loss. And that's the miracle. I just know I need God more and I need to stay close and connected. And with that, I pass. Okay, thank you, Ginger. Next up, we have Vasa O followed by Leah S. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Greg. Craig, for your service. I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recover, compulsive reader, calling from Florida. And uh, it was stressed over and over when I came to the program. I needed to put the sugar and the carbs down in order to recover from the food addiction. And I remember saying to my Abby, I don't know if I can do this. I've been doing this for 25 years, trying to put this food down, this sugar. I just can't keep it down. I could put it down for a little bit, but I always pick that up. And she explained to me, and he and doctor's opinion, you know, it's right there. I have the physical allergy. I had no understanding. I had no clue that was allergy. But thank you, again, thank you, my higher power, I found out what was the problem with me. I tried to figure out for many, many, many years. I didn't know what the problem was. So, okay. She said, In, if you, we need to defog our brains before we start working the steps. If we don't put the food down, we'll just keep on going back to it if we don't work through the steps. And uh, I was just so ready, and I was just so willing, and nobody had to convince me I had the disease because I could see it. I took an inventory of my eating behavior over the years. I just There was no name. I had no name for it. I didn't know the allergy. Once I found out about it, I just felt so relieved. I said, okay, so if I do all these things, that means... I'll never go back to the food. Of course, I go back to the food. I have my healthy meals. You know, for me, three meals. Some people diabetics; they need to eat more often, whatever. But I am, you know, I do three meals a day, and I was going through the withdrawals. It was horrible. I mean, I've shared this many times. It's embarrassing to say I was here an adult, forty-one years old. God, how am I going to do this? I wanted to throw myself on the floor cry like a baby because I was going through the withdrawals. I wanted my fix back, but I knew enough to pray, to go to my programs and do the tools and do, you know, after a while, it disappears. If I don't put the, those, my alcoholic foods down, if I don't put them in my body, there's no trigger anymore. I don't have that trigger, and I can work the rest of the steps with the clarity. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Okay, thank you, Vasa. Leah S., your turn, please. Leah? Did we lose you? Okay, well, um, I think we've lost Leah uh, for now. 
So I'll go ahead and take some more names. Am I being heard? Yeah, was that Leah asking if she could be heard? Yes. Okay. All right, Larry, I got you. But Leah, go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. So um, what is a craving? A craving is so bad that it wants me again and again to repeat that behavior again and again and again. So I had that craving. I came in that all I wanted to do was just eat and eat and eat. And they use the word definite hospitalization. They go to the extreme. The extreme thing would be if somebody um, had to have hospitalization, measures that, that 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 are really, really in the extreme. So why did I go back to this food? Because it used to give me a good feeling, but it didn't remain. That good feeling did not remain, and I needed more and more and more. And here they are telling me that before definite, before positive measures, psychological measures are to happen, before even better the feeling that I used to get from the food, for those feelings to return, it needs to be stopped. This food that has been harming me, that has been doing damage to me, this food has to stop right here and right now in order to get the good feeling and also an even better feeling, more than my understanding of what good feeling could really, really be. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Leah. Okay, I'm getting ready to take names. I've got Larry. Who else would like to share uh, on this paragraph? Barbara E. Melissa C. Orange Lauren N. Pete B. Jennifer W. Lauren Lauren N. I got you, Lauren. All right, I've got six, so I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Larry K., Vasa N., uh, Melissa, uh, Harlan, Lauren, and Pete. Okay, Larry, go ahead. Good, good morning, Craig. Thank you so much for your service. Appreciate Larry K. recovered today. Um, you know, if if putting the food down was an easy thing to do, everyone would do it. We, I mean, it's a it's a, a tremendously challenging thing to do, particularly when when you've never uh, felt that recovered state. In other words, most of us have stopped. We've stopped thousands of times in our lives. The problem is we just couldn't stay stopped. And so if you're someone that's been in and out of the food, in and out of the food as I was, you know, I I mean, the thought of putting the food down, okay, I could do it for a, a day, perhaps a week. Maybe I could hold my breath underwater for a month, but I know the the, the left shoe is going to drop eventually, and I'm going to feel horrible about myself. And so I think that's what makes it really challenging for people is to get out in front of it and trust this process. That's why we have to work these steps quickly once we put the food down. We can't wait. I don't have a month. I don't have six months. 
you know, where I could do some self-analysis, where I could sort of contemplate how I'm feeling. I'm feeling horrible. When I put the food down, I have to be willing to go through a period of horrible uncomfortability. And it might not be a horrible uncomfortability every day. There are days when I put the food down as an untreated compulsive overeater that I felt pretty strong. And that was detrimental to me because it gave me kind of a sense that maybe I, maybe I got this thing. And I repeated that over and over. Maybe I got this thing. And every so often I would dabble in the steps a little bit. You know, and the food is down and life's going well and I'm losing weight and people are noticing. And there would always come a day when the shoe would drop, right? And I wasn't free. I wasn't free of anything. See, I continued to thrash around in the quicksand day after day, trying to save myself, trying to come up with the magic, the pixie dust. There is no pixie dust. What we have to do is put the food down. We have to be willing to go through a period of uncomfortability. We have to get moving on the steps with fervor and vigor quickly. We don't need permission for, from a sponsor to assess our situation and assess our, take our emotional temperature to then determine if we are good enough or ready. No, no, no. That would be an abuse of power. And that I didn't get. I never realized that my higher power was not my sponsor that was going to dictate terms to me. Certainly I needed a Sherpa, but that was just another human being. If I was working with the sponsor that when I put the food down didn't immediately begin to work with me on these steps so that I could get through them quickly, and I'll wrap up, Craig, so I could get through them quickly, I better find another Sherpa, and it's okay to do that. It's the most compassionate thing. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, I think I heard the next name wrong. I think it was supposed to be Barbara E. Uh, Barbara, are you available? I am. Thank you so much, Craig. Wow, this is important for me. I had, oh, I don't even know where to start. The elimination of my red light foods and behaviors was just the beginning. A lie I heard in some of the programs and our offshoot programs was that once I got to maintenance, I could begin eating the foods that I had abstained from in moderation. Well, moderation is not a stop on my subway, but it was a lie I was eager to hear. Someone said the other day, this is not me talking, if you want to stop eating and stop suffering, you're in the right place. And I am certainly in the right place because food is not the problem. We know we could all chorus it out. Food is the solution. When I needed to calm the buildup of emotions, my emotions, tired, frustrated, resentful, happy, sad, bored, lonely. My mental twist would take over and I would say, Barbara, I know how to make you feel better. Some french fries and a burger will do it. You'll feel better or feel less. The intelligent part of my brain says, no, Barbara, that's not a good idea. But the emotional part wins out, says, well, maybe a half dozen uh, chocolate Kit Kat bars will do the trick. 
It always convinced me. And then there were times when I didn't even have the mental debate. I just went right to it without any thought at all. And that immediately led to the craving and the compulsion, the obsession, the delusion that I could eat like a normal person. Why couldn't I? And there's a debate. How long should I be freed from the food and behaviors before beginning the steps? Two days, four days, a week, a month? I have to put down the food immediately and begin working the steps because the steps and the tools and the fellowship and the phone calls are what's keeping me abstinent. But I don't take this abstinence for granted. I could start, I could wake up tomorrow morning and begin all those behaviors again. But knock on wood, poo-poo, I have not done that. And I've not done so happily for two decades now. I am older than F, but I always learn. I am teachable. I hear such wonderful things. I heard God me, guide me, direct me, the power of the pause. I learn so much from you, my fellows, every single day. And that's what keeps me happy, joyous, free, and grateful. Thank you so much. I pass. Craig, thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, okay. Uh, thank you, Barbara. Melissa, you're up next, followed by Harlan G. Hi, good morning, Craig. Thank you so much for your service this morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, even just that there's a, a, an argument over this, to me, um, it's, it's, it makes me kind of laugh because the argument to continue to eat and try to do this work is arguing with not a human being but with a disease, you know, with the disease of compulsive overeating. If, if you're owned like I was by the food and I'm, you know, and, and I want to get free from the food, I can't continue to remain in bondage to the food and think that I'm somehow going to get free without breaking the bonds, you know, without ripping out of those shackles and making a run for it. And, you know, and so it's like, at the end of my disease, I was I was like in a burning building, and yeah, to to run through the flames was going to be frightening. But you can't sit there and think, well, the firemen are going to come and put the flames out, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make a run for the door. Like you've got to get free. You've got to put it down and get free. And no, I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. I wanted the easier, softer way. I wanted to go right on eating and then get a magic wand waved over me, get thin first, because that's really what I wanted, and then the desire to, to eat would be somehow removed. And it's just not the way it works. There, there, there is a, a great leap of faith in the beginning, the faith that the desire will, will go away. And, and the, I mean, that's the truth. It does go away. Nobody... Um, at least, I mean, I could speak for me. It's been nearly five years. Um, I could not be suffering, wanting the food and, and being clear-minded for five years. But but it was a little period of time that I 
really, really wanted to eat, and I needed a definite hospitalization, and I've shared before what that looked like for me. It meant some really tight parameters around me and the rest of the world so that I could put the food down. Um, and, and we've all done it. Every single person on this line has gone through, and, and I find great you know, encouragement in that. Everybody has gone through uncomfortability, and we've all lived, you know, and, and lived happily to tell the truth that we managed, we got through it. I am no stronger. I'm no better than anybody else. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Okay. Thank you, Melissa. Harlan, your turn. Welcome. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Craig, and thank you for your service. Thank you to Team Monday for making this meeting possible. I came into this program on February 2nd, 1979. I was 24 years old. I was probably 550, 560 pounds at the time that I came in. And I didn't want to be there. And I really had a life that was shattered by the food. My life was torn asunder by this illness. Every dream that I could dream, and we're going to get to that tomorrow at the same back time, same back channel. We're going to talk about our problems piling up on us, and we're going to talk about some other things that occurred to me. But what happened in my life when I came into this program is I had to do a certain amount of things that I absolutely did not want to do, but I did them reluctantly because I saw them working in other people. And one of the major things that I had to do in this program that I did not want to do, because even though food had devastated me, emasculated me, deformed me, and amputated me from life was I had to give up my best friend. And I didn't want to. And I said to my then sponsor, how do I do this? You keep telling me that I'm powerless over food, and now you want me to give it up. And he said to me in a very rough voice, using some golf words, You are powerless over blank food, but you are not helpless. You can give up food for two days. And he pointed to places in the big book where it references this two-day period of time with Bill Dotson, with Bill Wilson. And he said, after two days, we are going to start on the steps. Now, I had to take action after action after action, beginning with that, that I did not yet believe in, and I had to stop waiting for willingness. Willingness was explained to me in a very gruff tone, was the most blankety-blank overrated concept in OA, and that if I gave up the food and started taking the action, that the willingness would come and I was trading slavery for freedom and how free do you want to be? How healed do you want to be in the one life you have? He said, this isn't a dress rehearsal. 
give up the food. And if a period of time passes and you really feel like you want to take it back, go ahead. But give it a shot. And I did. And the rest is history. Of course, I didn't recover right away. I still had some fight in me. But for the last 20 years, I've had the food down. And because of this wonderful program and these magnificent steps, I have done so happily. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Harlan. Okay, next up is Lauren N. Good morning, visionaries. This is Lauren N. Can you hear me, Craig? I can. Thank God for this section of the doctor's opinion. All I can say is every time I hear it and every time I read it and every time I remember how hard it was to get to believe, but how easy it was right after the four, five, six days it took to clean my system out. Wow. This big book is so incredible, and this doctor's opinion, and being cleared from the allergy of the body has helped me so incredibly. And all I can say is, if I can do it, anyone can. I walked into this room a broken woman I had no place left to turn. I had just had my second bariatric surgery, was recovering from diabetes, and was proceeding to gain all my weight back. Thank God I now know I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. The allergy of the body, with that, with that not triggered, I'm able to deal with the obsession of the mind by doing service, by being on this program, on this line, by being committed and remembering that God has my back. And thank you with Thank you. With that, I will pass. Have a good day, everyone. Okay. Thank you, Lauren. Next, we have Pete B. Pete. Pete, are you there? I'm here now. Thanks, Craig. Pete B., compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy in Pennsylvania. And I, I, I felt compelled to share this morning because, you know, I, I, I just think it be, it's important that we be clear to the, you know, to the attendees of this meeting is when we say, when we say put the food down, we have to be clear on what food we're talking about, right? We're talking about the foods, the substances, the ingredients that caused the phenomena of craving, the abnormal reaction, right? Like that's what has to be put down. You know, I, I guess, I guess, 
I'm the only one, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm not afraid to stand alone. I guess I'm the only one that gets a sense of ease and comfort from my three abstinent meals a day, right? I enjoy them. I enjoy them. They don't cause the phenomena of craving. They don't kick in. They don't, they don't compel me to eat more than what is necessary to eat. Right? I've got to abstain from the substances that are causing the phenomena of craving. That is the food that needs to be put down 100% entirely. I'm not going to pretend like all of a sudden I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, I get ease and comfort out of my breakfast because I'm hungry. I'm unsettled. I have nutritional requirements. When those requirements are met, I get settled, right? I was made that way. You know, this is not, I'm never going to be beyond the, the, the I forget what, whatever the hell we talk about. I'm never going to be beyond being human, Right? But I have to keep, I have to be free of the substances that cause the phenomenon of craving, which, def, which by definition make me a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Pete. Okay, I have time for one more share. Who'd like to take this last share? Hi, Debbie E. Go ahead, Debbie. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for letting me share, and thank you for your service. Um, I just want to share the doctor's opinion when the first few times I read it. I never understood what it relates to me. I never understood what the big book is talking about that has anything to do with me and alcoholics in the gutter. And now when I read it, it's so clear. It's so clear that this ease and discomfort, this this food is giving me it's not just giving me sustenance. It's doing for me something that it's not what it's really meant to do. It's like if you have a car and you put gas in the tank, that's what you're doing it for. You're not giving it, doing, giving it something. You're giving food is for sustenance. Food is for things that help us grow and, and, and give us what we need for our mental ability, for our physical ability. And when I'm abstinent, it is an absolute gift because Instead of feeling deprivation, that people say to me, how could you be on a diet? I, so you can hardly get through it. Instead, I sit down in front of that meal that's weighed and measured, and that food is, my food, my plate is full. And instead of feeling like deprived, I feel I'm doing myself a gift. This is an unbelievable feeling. And it's such a different shift in how I look at things. And that's a gift. And that gift I really, really appreciate. And I uh, thank you all for being there. Oh, caught me by surprise. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Th thanks for everyone who shared uh, today. Um, we're going to call it good here. Um, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, January 7th, 2019, is 12388. 12,388. That's today's share ID. Okay, we're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will uh, Lauren N. please read uh, uh, A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. I am so sorry. I'm right there. Can you hear me, Craig? Yes, go ahead, please. Okay. Our 
book is meant to be suggestive only. Uh, we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you shall, will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.